You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. I was considering about the book of James, and uh, I kind of thought, you know, like with the, the state of our current culture, and how like everyone is so like easily emotionally triggered, James is actually a book that should be called, uh, the title of James should be called Trigger Warning, James, the book of James, right? Because really the truth is, is that James doesn't mess around with us and he doesn't do anything to like soften the blow. He's very practical in his approach and how he wants to encourage us and call us to live as children of God, as people of Christ people who have been transformed by the work of Jesus in our hearts and in our minds. So, having said that, it's kind of hard sometimes to get to the book of James and and share with you guys because the truth is, there's nothing that James doesn't want to get into your life about and dig deep and see where the idols are. You know, the first week we had with Pastor Steve, he uh, kind of, James went over, did kind of an overview with us about what does it mean, um, James actually does a little overview about what he's going to go through in the book. And Pastor Steve called us to consider it joy, right? Consider joy because God is working. Like we, we don't face trials like other people do because we see that in our trials, God is doing something. And so because we know God is doing something and because we know we are here, we are his and because of his presence, we have a different mindset about trials. Amen. Amen. And then also too, last week, Uh, Another very important thing, right? When we ask for wisdom, we shouldn't be double-minded in how we ask God for wisdom because God wants to give us wisdom. And even we'll talk more about today that God always takes joy in giving us what He desires for us in our life. Do you guys hear that? Like when we ask God for the things that He desires for us, it's like not even, it's like a no-brainer. It's like if all of a sudden your child miraculously said, Mom and Dad, I don't want McDonald's. I want vegetables for dinner. You're like, hallelujah, boom, right? Well, I I don't know. I'd be like, well, we can go get a cheeseburger later. But that's just dad talking. But the whole idea is God likes to give us the things that he desires for us. So this week, James is going to get in our face about a few things. Um, He's going to talk to us about money. And really, uh, it's not so much about money as it is about our heart and our, the pursuit of wisdom. Oh, Sorry, Steve. I didn't turn my timer on, bro, but you got me? Okay. All right, good. We're trying to keep it tight, trying to keep it tight. All right. He's going to hit us up about money, but he's also going to talk to us about perseverance and perseverance is what, kind of what we talked about and considering it joy and uh, how God is working to grow in us, steadfastness, right? So he's going to hit at that again. But also, too, he's going to talk to us about temptation. And really, this is, uh, in the culture where we live, this is the hardest, probably the hardest thing for us to hear. Um, I'm not even going to unpack it yet. And then lastly, he's going to, he's going to round out this section in uh, chapter 1, verse 9 to 18, and talking about the goodness of God, the things that God likes to give, right? That, that what we have from God is good, and anything that we have that is good is from God. Amen. So it's, it's this crazy thing where, we're going to have to adjust our mind at the end. You know, last week Steve talked, asked a question about uh, why do good things happen to bad, uh, bad things happen to good people? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear that question apart, and we're going to talk about another question. We're going to reframe it because Scripture teaches us something else, okay? So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our passage in James chapter 1, starting in verse 9. God, I don't want to be a fool, and I want to ask for wisdom even now, Lord, even as I'm standing here. And God, you've you put much in my heart and prepared much in me this week. Lord, and uh, even just thinking about the spiritual warfare that goes in a home before we get up here, we preach the Word of God. So, Lord, I, I know you've been showing me things this week. So, God, I just pray whatever is of me, Lord, that you would strip it away. And, God, I pray your Word would be exalted. I pray Jesus would be exalted. I pray, God, that you would be exalted, Lord. Have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you guys can't hear me at all, because I know what happens is when you turn your head a little bit, sometimes it, like, fades off. If you guys need me to talk louder, just give me, like, a... One of these things, okay? All right. Sorry, if you're on Zoom, you, you got good audio. All right. Don't want to forget our Zoom family here uh, still watching us at home. So. so the first thing, we're going to do this a little different. So I'm not going to read the whole passage straight away. What I'm going to do is read us the little chunk of passage, and then we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. So we're going to start in um, the first one is James and the temporary nature of riches, a.k.a. James and the giant goose egg, Right? Not the giant peach like the movie, but the giant goose egg. We're all looking for that American dream, that 401k that's going to set us free in the future, right? But James is going to hit us, and he says this in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away, just like Pastor Steve was reading about in Psalm chapter 90. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I love how Jesus, um, in the same language that he uses to encourage the poor in chapter 6, right? Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. They don't worry or stress or nothing. But look, they're as pretty as that beautiful flower back there on the, on the back thing there. It's pretty. Sorry, I'll show it to you later. Uh, but he, he encourages the poor in that same way, right? That there's a temporary nature to our life, but you don't have to worry because God's going to take care of it. Well, guess what? If you're rich, same thing. You have, you have that same exhortation, but in a warning that, look, you might think you're all pretty and beautiful because what you did and, you know, you got, you got all your like style, you know, you're repping the right clothes and you're doing the right thing. But look, all of that is temporary, like none of that, none of what you see in the, in the externalness of a person and the riches and how they're taken care of or the money that they have, none of that is going to last. Um, so I think about the pursuit of riches because we're not, we're not trying to slam people who have money, like not at all, okay? God uses, I, I've told you before, I have several friends. Uh, I come from the South Bay, which is um, South L.A. County. And uh, I have lots of friends who are easily could write a check for lots of money and it wasn't a big deal, but their heart was for the Lord. So they were generous with their stuff. So like we're not talking about the fact that you may have money or you may have worked hard for your money. Not at all. But what we are talk talking about is that sometimes as Americans, we think that the pursuit of riches is like some ideal and, and our Christianity gets involved in that. We think, oh, we're going to pursue this thing. And Jesus is saying, look, if I don't have first place in your heart, then you, you got to know that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fade away like that flower, like the grass that used to be here probably, 
or the orchard that used to be here because we know there used to be an orchard in this in this little area there used to be an orchard but where is it where are the fruits of that orchard it's no more right so you know I think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount I mentioned this a second ago uh, and he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither rot, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, there your heart will be also. And you know what, fam? As a... a as a subculture of Christianity sometimes, we do that. We use our money to flex on people. We have a, if there's a company that, doesn't like, does, that says something like they support marriage a certain way or they don't support marriage a certain way, what do we do? We flex with our purchasing power, right? So we can't be the ones who pretend like money doesn't have a place in our lives or money's not an idol for us because the very thing we do when we, someone upsets us is we, we withhold our money or we support even more. Like, y'all bought on too many chicken sandwiches unnecessarily because you think that your money says something in the, ultimately in the kingdom, right? Like, you, you wanted to get behind Chick-fil-A, and I love me some Chick-fil-A. That's not about Chick-fil-A. But what I'm saying is sometimes we are flexing with our cash because we don't realize that the power is in our knees and praying before God because money is an idol for us. It's temporary, fam. It doesn't last. Trust me, I got four kids. <laughs> that's just a, that's probably a different topic, but anyways. So it points out what's temporary, right? And the issue at hand is like, what is what is takes first place in your heart? I'm spitting a lot, but it's because I got a retainer, you know. And I'm getting excited. I'm not gonna lie. That's right. They're, I'm the reason they made social distancing. So. But listen, it's about what has first priority in your heart, right? When we can all, we can all understand that. Because the things that have first priority in your heart, those are the things you actually worship. Like there's, there's no two ways about it, right? And Jesus will not share that spot with anything or anyone. You guys have to know that. Jesus will not be comfortable sharing the limelight or the spot in your heart that's close to the top. Like, no, it's Jesus and everything else. Not like, well, you know, uh, not like that. Uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, I wrote a couple weeks ago about succulents and propagating and like, and just the whole idea about going forth. And, um, and it was basically, it was about talking about how none of us who gives up uh, homes, mothers, brothers, sisters, fam, parents, all that, for the sake of Jesus and the, for the sake of the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in this life and the next. But guess what? That story comes right on the heels of Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. It's not that the rich young ruler, uh, he, he rolled up and he came in and he thought he had something to offer Jesus. And he's like, hey, I'm probably a good guy to have on your team. Like he didn't say that, but he said, oh, good teacher, right? He's already, he hasn't even been in the classroom for a minute and he's already kissing the teachers. You know what, right? He's like, oh, good teacher, good teacher. And he's like, oh, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. And it goes on, and he talks about, and he says, oh, I've kept all the commandments. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. I look perfect on the outside, and I think that's what it's about, right? 
And Jesus is like, oh yeah? Well then go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And it says, or, but before it says that, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus' act of love to that young man was to confront his idol, the idol in his heart that only he knew about. Do you guys hear that? Jesus' act of love towards you and I is not to let us be complacent or comfortable with other idols in our heart, but it's to come in and speak to those idols and say, I will not share that space. Jesus will tell us, I will not share that space with anyone or anything. But like I said, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. You know, for many of us, God used COVID to expose this chink in our armor. Like it's, uh, I, my brother was a missionary in Mexico for 20 years. And, uh, you know, like we would, I would, we would, I would go down there probably every year for like, it was about eight or nine years. I would go down there every year. And uh, I was down there for, I barely missed a hurricane, but I was down there for an earthquake and you know what? When stuff happens there, we think we just have like, we start a GoFundMe page in America. We get emotional support counselors. We got all kinds of stuff that we do. You know what they do? They start over the next day and rebuild. They don't wait for all of this stuff. So um, when I'm, when I, the reason I'm saying that is because I think about how COVID hit us in America and it exposed in us that our trust isn't fully in Jesus but our trust is in stability. It's in comfort. Our trust is in money. Our trust is in Sunday service. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so Jesus is coming in and he's saying, man, cancel that. If you're going to cancel anything in culture, cancel anything that shares any spot of idolatry above me or near me. Jesus first. The second thing he calls us to is to remain steadfast. Um, I won't hit this too much because Pastor Steve did a good job talking about this in the first week. But he says, uh, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, there's something eternal about that. Because when he has stood the test, right? And it's not talking about a momentary test. The test is your life. Your life is the test. When you get to the end of it, right, think about what Paul says. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, right? The test that happens in our life is not some momentary thing. Um, we do have momentary tests and momentary trials, but the truth of the matter is, is that when we walk with Jesus, every day we wake up is an opportunity for God to put something in our path to make us more like him. And you know what? A lot of times it comes as a trial. And you know what, guys, family, it's not a, it's, it's a perspective, right? That like God, when we see that God is doing this, God says um, he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, right? It's this notion that like God brings us these things, not because he's up there trying to be some great killjoy, he brings us these things because he wants to draw us near to him. Because these are the things, these hardships and these hard things are the things that very often bring us to him. And so, man, sometimes we're in the middle of that and we feel like, what is God doing? Listen, 2 Peter, say, uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. If you're not getting these, I'll, I'll put them all down and we'll put them on the website. 
Uh, it says this. We always got time for a cute little girl running across in a purple dress. Every day, all day. Oh, okay. Very observant. Okay. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power, okay, God's power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right? Man, I just, like, I just want to keep going on the scriptures, but it's like I'm going to keep going here. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and with steadfastness godliness, and godliness with brother affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours in increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I used to think about, uh, I love old football, right? New football, uh, you know, I, I could watch it, but I grew up like on the end of the 70s, right? The Steel Curtain, right? The Oakland Raiders of the 70s. Like, no. the Raiders is my team, dog. I know, I know. Me and Steve are like this right here, but... And so you, there was always that player, right? Like the Jack Lambert, right? Or the um, Dick Buckus. Like these guys who were like rugged and tough and like they would get the job done. They were just these burly guys. And sometimes like you think like, yeah, like we, we can count on that guy to, to come through because he's tough, he's persevering, he's steadfast. But at the same time, some of those guys were the biggest jerks. <laughs> and I think as Christians, we we could maybe get that way that we're persevering under persecution, right? And our we're coming, our faces are starting to snarl and we're angry and rah, rah. But it's like with godliness, with self-control, with brotherly affection. So that when we come through this thing, we're coming out prettier, not uglier, right? That we're coming out as Christians more beautiful and more attractive because we're start reflecting more of Jesus in our life as opposed to being that old school linebacker or lineman who just looks ugly as heck and can barely walk at the end of his life, right? That's not our Christianity. Our Christianity comes out and we sparkle. Man, when we go through those trials, we come out and we sparkle and people are like, man, how do you, how'd you go through that? That must have been tough. And it speaks to the world. It speaks to the world when we can go through those trials and have peace. Man, the biggest weapon you have is that God is with you and that and that when you, when you are in his presence and the peace that comes upon you and the situation that you find yourself in, it mystifies people. And what do you get to say in response? Because of God. Because of Jesus. Thirdly, James addresses our relationship to temptation. And this is kind of like where we get, where I was kind of teasing about, like the trigger warning section, right? Uh, it, um, he's not pulling any punches. He says this in verse 13. Let no, one, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God's not doing that. God might have allowed a trial in your life, but he is not tempting anyone to sin. It says, verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death, or brings forth death. You know, I grew up reading the NIV, so I memorized a lot of these passages in the NIV. So sometimes I'm looking at it, and I'm not reading it. I'm just thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, wait, a different version now. In the past, preachers used to say, like, uh, you know, like, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And it's like, the, and the, the Jeopardy answer is what? Like, things that make Christians sin. And it's like, no, that's not true. The world has no power of you. The devil has no power of you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the riches that dwelled in Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, right? The, the world and, the, fle- the, world and the, the devil have nothing on you. It, but James tells us what? When we are dragged away and enticed, when we are lured away and enticed with our own evil and desire. Uh, the word lure is just so good. I mean, it's just, it's nothing fancy, right? It's so basic. It's so basic. Like, it's a fish lure, right? You know, like the idea. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to explain it. It's just so easy. It's it just, it just one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, you put a lure in the water, and when you put a lure in the water, do you just let it sit there? No, most of the time it requires a little thing, like, and it sparkles, and it catches your eye, and you're like, oh, I'm going to swim over here by it, like, swim over here by it. When I used to, um, I was a terrible spear fisherman when I lived in Hawaii. In fact, I always joked that the fish knew how long I could hold my breath. And they would stay just, out, they would stay just outside of my spear length until they knew I was losing my breath. Then they get close, and I have to go up for air. But uh, what you do in Hawaii, I learned, is that you go down to the bottom, you dive down to the bottom, and what you do is you take your hand and you just ruffle it in the, the bottom sand. And it creates a little cloud and there's little stuff in the sand. It comes up as sparkles and the fish cannot resist it. So they'll come in and they'll check it out. And that's like how, how our sin is. But guess what? The lure is not from the outside. The lure as, as people is from the inside. It's our own evil desire that wants to go and check it out. That wants to click that next button, fellas right? Or that wants to do whatever it is. It's our own evil desire that takes us there. And so James is saying, look, don't put that on God. Don't put that on God. Like that's on us. Sorry, the wind. I'm blaming, I'm blaming the wind. All right, here we go. When we, if we can't come to grips with the reality of the way our hearts really are, the condition of our hearts, then we'll never come to grips with our reality for our need for a Savior. We'll never come to grips with the, what the blood of Jesus actually does for us. We'll never come to grips with why we need grace. If all we're doing is making excuses in life about blaming someone else for the thing that we're struggling with or the thing that we're doing or the, our propensity towards a certain sin, if all we're doing is blaming, then, beloved, we may never find the real grace that God has for us because God in the scripture, Jesus is always calling us to take responsibility, not because he wants to hold it on top of us and crush us with it, because he wants us to give it to him so he can take it out of our hand. But we have to take responsibility. It's not because of someone else. It's because of our own evil hearts. We'll go back here. Use that. Okay. You know, first, uh, first Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be, te- be tempted beyond your ability. Right? 
God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. You guys hear that? Yeah, listen. If God, yeah, did you guys hear that over there? I know Pastor Stevert. Say it again. Listen, God won't let you uh, be in that temptation without providing you an escape. Like there's not, it's not like I got nowhere to go. I got no one to call. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't start saying that because you got to choose not to call your brother when you need help. You got to choose not to confess. You got to choose not to escape, right? And for, for a lot of people, our sin is right here in our hand. We can't let go of this thing, right? God's strategy for us to conquer sin in our lives isn't to discover something in our childhood that causes us to go a certain direction of propensity. Is it good to figure those things out? Yeah. But is it good to put all the responsibility on what our dad did or did not do? No, not at all. Like God's calling us to own our stuff because he died for our stuff and he accepts us no matter what. Like, it's not like, it's not like we need to, we don't need to be so caught and hung up on that thing in the past. We just need to be right here because and understand that God is taking care of us it's like how we are and who we are. Like you did nothing to earn Jesus and there's nothing that you can do that for God to take Jesus away from you. James calls this the law of liberty. It's kind of a, it's a trippy saying, right? Because when we think about law, and I'm not going to unpack it because it's Pastor Steve's sermon in a couple of weeks. <laughs> But he calls it the law of liberty. And really, like when we think about law, we don't think about liberty. But the truth is, is when we find ourselves walking in the things that Jesus has for us, there is much freedom in that thing. There's much freedom in walking in the law of God and walking in. And we're not, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about rule following. I'm talking about letting your heart be so that you're walking with Jesus on the regular and you're confessing your sin on the regular and then what other people do is not your responsibility. It's about you looking at yourself. That's the law of liberty, people. Man, I'm fired up. Jesus walks with us. Jesus understands us. Jesus helps us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In fact, I think Pastor Steve read this verse at the end of service last week. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like, man, the things that we are struggling with, the things that are hurting, like God loves to take those things, right? Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, right? Like, or cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. Just, just own as much as you can. I remember uh, Jamie said something to Steve, and Steve passed it to me like, or she, I think she posted it on Facebook. In relationships, just own as much as you can and leave, leave something to that effect. Own as much as you can and leave the rest to God. And I just remember that's, that's so perfect, right? <laughs> you can get me on the quote later, but I totally butchered it probably. But the whole idea is in our lives and in our Christian life, it's about us owning what we can own. When we become legalists, we want to make other people own the scripture. We want to make other people behave a certain way. But God isn't calling any of us to apply the scriptures to anyone else but to ourselves. 
It's about us taking responsibility for how God is speaking to us in our hearts and then praying for the people who we see have uh, things that need work on, like caring to them through prayer. And then obviously if it's a blaring sin, then we want to like address that too. But too much has to do with extra things that are not things that God has set forth. It's clear. And then lastly is this. James addresses the goodness of God in verse 16. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Whew, that's a mouthful. Amen. Amen for sure. You know, um, I told you I was going to uh, rephrase a question, right? And so I want to say this. Even considering just the things that we've considered today, why, it's, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's, let's say this, okay? Track with me. Um, I, I sent this. Uh, this will be on the website for you guys to kind of go through and work through it on your own. But I'm just going to go through a couple of things and I want you to hear me rephrase the question, okay? First, we know no one is righteous, right? Not even one. That's Romans 3.23. Second, we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I'm, gonna, I'm putting these verses on the website so you guys can go look through this and study this, okay? Um, God, the world doesn't have control over us, but the entirety of the world is under the control of the evil one, right? Um, third, we know that God uses suffering in our lives to bring glory to himself. Romans 8, 18 through 38. Like, I want you guys to go and read all these passages because it's going like, to like change the way you're thinking about this. I'm sorry? Yeah. God uses suffering in our lives to bring glory to himself. Romans 8, 18 to 38. And then lastly, with what we just read in James in chapters 16 through 18, right? That every good and perfect gift comes from God. Then the question is this, why is there any goodness in the world? Did you guys hear that? The question isn't why, do, why does bad thing happen to good people? It's that why is there even any goodness in the world? It's because God has intervened and brought himself in Jesus in good things and looking at creation and enjoying all the things that you, anything that we enjoy that is good in this world is because God has intervened and given it to us as a, as a common grace through his creation and as a specific grace through his son, Jesus. So beloved, I just want to encourage you guys this morning, man, James, James is going to get in our face, but I want to encourage you guys and admonish you guys. Let's let the word of God permeate and penetrate and do stuff in us. And let's create a space in our time, in our, in our week, where we can say, God, I want you to deal with that stuff in me. And then I think when we ask for that wisdom, God is happy to give us the things that he already desires for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just, man, I'm so thankful for your word. God, if there is any goodness in this world, it is because you have intervened. And so, God, we, we say thank you, Jesus. We say thank you that you have intervened. We say thank you that you have given us good things. And that, God, that you're not distant. 
And Lord, you're not, you're not away from us wondering why we're doing what we're doing, but you walk with us. You sympathize. You empathize. Lord, you've been attempted in every way, yet you are without sin. And so, God, I pray that we would run to the throne of grace, Lord, and find help in our time of need. Jesus, change our hearts, Lord. Let the word change our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.